Hey everyone, welcome back to NGF News. My name is Alec and we have Joshua Cheatham here. Uh, for this week's latest global developments, we have a big agenda today. Um, we're discussing three big things that happened uh, in the news recently that we feel is very important um, for everyone to know. So for the first one, uh, we're going to be talking about the G20 finance minister meeting um, in India ending in a stalemate. Uh, then we're going to move on to the future of U.S.-China relations, which um, John Kerry made a statement about that climate will be the next kind of big thing for U.S.-China relations. So we're going to dive into that as well. And then finally on our agenda, we're going to be talking about the Russian uh, strikes on Ukrainian grain ports after um, Russia left from the uh, export deal. So we're going to go straight into the G20 finance minister meeting. So this is not the actual G20 meeting. Um, the meetings, there's a few meetings that happened beforehand. Um, I do apologize if there are any cars that are uh, going by. Uh, third world country <laughs> problems. <laughs> but um, so there's a couple meetings that happened before the actual G20, which is going to be in uh, early September. Um, and this one is a finance minister meeting. So they'll have a bunch of um, financial representatives from each different country. So for us, we had the Secretary uh, of Treasury, Janet, uh, jo Janet Yellen. Is that? Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen. God damn. Okay. Janet Close Yellen. enough. So she had, uh, she was representing the U S in these, uh, in the meeting. And then of course, all others had their own, uh, ministers to represent them. So, um, in the actual meeting, uh, G20 finance ministers failed to reach a consensus on, uh, some issues, including the one on Russia's war in Ukraine. Uh, India as the G20 president issued a summary and an outcome document to highlight the talks and disagreements. Uh, China and Russia were ones who uh, object uh, to the references in the document about the war and the impact on uh, global on the global economy. Um, what else was on here? Uh, the IMF and the World Bank uh, emphasize the need for more and faster um, effective debt restructuring processing. And we also had just some other things about Russia's end to the grain export deal, which was brought up, brought up in there as well. But um, in in general, it was pretty stalemate between the finance ministers. Of course, it was kind of expected, really, because of Russia and China having their own little uh, own little side, and then all the West is like, "Oh, you're you're doing this bad," and then Russia and China is like, "Well, no, we don't believe in." So it was yeah. kind of it was kind of expected to happen. No, it definitely was, and I mean, India isn't helping by being the chair and not really trying to force anything uh the india's finance minister came out with a statement that said because we still have no common language on the russian ukraine war uh, uh, it, it's it's fascinating that there isn't a single common language like besides russia i think even china has stated that they want the war to end peacefully you know that that is something that the chinese have reiterated is that they want to have an equal fair outcome for all sides I think that's close to what their 12-point document said back in, what was that, February? A long time ago. Yeah, so I think there should have been some common language. But obviously there's craziness going on in the world at the moment. But the leaders of September are going to have to now come up with a new common document of understanding. Because the finance ministers haven't come up with anything so now when they meet in new delhi in september all of the actual presidents and prime ministers they're going to have to come up with something completely new something that's hopefully reinvigorating that can come to a general consensus 
Uh, but there was some good news. The G20 did have, or well, the, the chair said that they wanted consensus of particular issues such as debt, distress, inflation, and threat of climate change. And the discussions on food and energy specifically were overall good, as well as climate financing and improving debt distress. So there was some good news that came out of this, a lot of good dialogue. But like you said, the overall thing is just complete stalemate. Finger pointing and this issue. Just finger pointing and no common language. I mean, it blows my mind that there wasn't even common language on things like debt restructuring and bank reforms uh, globally. Oh, bank reforms should be a big this, one, right? This is you. You would think at a at a G twenty finance meeting they would have at least some language, right? It had they just put geopolitics aside for a second, because this whole finance minister meeting was binded by um, geopolitics. Had they yes. came in with a clear vision, thinking money and money only, then they wouldn't be. Then we wouldn't have had to have this conversation, and we would be talking about all the good things that came out of the finance minister meeting. But really, I think we really do need some debt restructuring here. I mean, China's playing a terrible game with how they're how they're using debt to to trap people. And of course, China would be the one to say, "Well, we don't we don't know what you're talking about. This is a." Uh, a global development project, um, the one China, the not the one China, the Belt and Road Initiative. So it's, I mean, even then, you can go up to China and say, "Listen, you're you you have something here, and we do believe in global development, but your Belt and Road Initiative is not the way to do it. Here's what we can do better, and that, that's just like one example of what should have come out of this talk." Should yeah. geopolitics have been set aside for once? I but I agree, and, and I what think you, it's just egotistical here. Sorry, I just oh had to... no, you're good. That's so true because like you, what you're saying. We we discussed this, I think, in a prior episode with Janet Yellen when she was talking about uh when she went to go visit China and she was talking about uh oh, is it national security and, and climate change with with their uh, finance minister? And it's like. Why bring up issues that aren't under your umbrella? Let the people who are knowledgeable and the leaders of those issues discuss them. You know, we there's no mention of supply chain issues. There's no mentions of new trade agreements that are going on. There's no messages of infrastructure agreements that have been put in this document that I have found or on research. I haven't found anything discussing those issues. Yes, it's great to talk about inflation. Yes, it's great to talk about climate financing and debt distress and, and food insecurities. But why do you have to bring in the war? You're going to lose a lot of ground if you bring in things that you already know you're not going to agree on. So I think it was pointless to even talk, have this discussion in the first place at a finance meeting. This discussion should have taken place in September when all of the leaders of the countries were there, but of course, you know, they're, they're going to discuss this. I mean, I, I get why they would discuss it, right? Because it, it did have a major impact on things like agricultural products for, for the global economy, but there's still many other things to discuss like technology. Um, there's a massive just call for needing chips, AI, using AI in uh, a global, um, in a globalizing world. I mean, there's a bunch of other different topics that could have been discussed in this meeting, but they just raised concerns of what needs to be addressed, which is like we already know and the IMF knows, the World Bank knows what these issues are. 
what yeah, exactly what are the solutions and i think this is this is globalization struggling to continue is because of just lack of i don't even know like how to explain it. it's just lack of perspective lack of i think a lack of understanding that the world needs like the world needs change and it needs change now it doesn't need to discuss change it needs to actively pursue change you know there's need to implement these programs i think i know what you're saying i think like there's no action like there's no yeah exactly right there there there's no like there's just no fire to do it, which is there is a fire. There is a need. There's always been a need, but they're failing to see it because it still hasn't been urgent enough in the eyes of these diplomats and in the eyes of these finance ministers. Because had there been a call or, or a fire in like their mind saying we need to do this because tomorrow is not possible or tomorrow won't happen, then you would see all the geopolitics left aside. But there's still yeah. it, it, the need for it to solve it is there, but they're failing to see. There's still not a sense of urgency enough, even though that the even it blows my mind that the Russia-Ukraine war was not enough of like, hey, we need to do this because X, Y, and Z. Yeah, exactly. And with with Russia and China being the adversaries, you'd think that the the other eighteen parties would be like, okay, like you you guys got to quit it you know we got to come up to a consensus somehow with some issues that are important in redefining how our world is going to look in the future so hopefully that in in the september meeting in new delhi it'll come up with uh all the leaders will come up with something that they can tangibly hold and something they can tangibly hold and put hopefully put aside the the war and i hate saying that because that's a really bad term but like not put aside like oh we'll put it in the back burner like just put it aside and focus on fixing something while continuing negotiations least, go on to solve the war. Yeah, I solve think there was, there was one thing that came out of this finance minister meeting, and it was a sort of like roadmap from all the big uh, international banks, like the the IMF. And I mean, they're not really a bank, but um, <laughs> like uh, IMF, <laughs> World Bank, like the 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 big uh, international organizations that deal with money and trade. Um, they, they've developed this kind of roadmap to find more uh, lending resources, which include things like getting more loans, getting more grants, things like that. So this was something kind of that came out, but really there wasn't a big like, oh, my God, this this happened in this meeting that will it, it, this pretty much set the stage for what G20 will be. It's just going to be a really big stalemate and yeah. nothing will happen. Everyone's going to be disappointed because they think, oh, my God, G20 is coming up. Maybe we might see some progress. But to me, it, uh, in my opinion, after seeing this initial meeting, I'm kind of not too excited for what's to come. Maybe maybe they might flip the switch and say, listen, this is what our finance ministers didn't agree on. Let's see what we can do. Maybe they might continue the conversation. Maybe they might just not. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hopefully there's something that could come out in September. But if you have nothing else, we can uh, move on to the next topic. That's good. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, all right. So we're looking now at the U.S.-China climate cooperations. Could that be the future of relations between the countries? Now, when Alec first sent me this headline, I said, 
how the hell are two countries the leading global uh, carbon emissions going to come together over climate change issues when they can't come together over anything else? Well, John Kerry believes otherwise, and John Kerry has met with uh, Lee Quing, uh, the premier, addressing Premier Lee Quing on the situation, how climate change has been getting worse. We've seen record temperatures. We've seen rising seas. We've seen storms that are affecting areas, and they believe that this is something that the U.S. and China can cooperate on to reestablish communications and relationships between both countries, as they are both worried about the effects of climate change and both truly do want to solve the issue so i think this is it's very fascinating in my opinion i think it's a it's a good way to move away from things like the taiwan uh situation um geo uh, other geopolitics and, and other things that surround that kind of hinder u.s china relations i think what john Kerry, like i said uh like when i sent you the article to my mom to me i was thinking like like you said, we are we're both one of the biggest polluters. How how are we gonna come up to each other and say, hey, you stop doing this or you stop doing that? Stop polluting, set your limits, this and that. But what what they're trying to do here, uh, the U.S. and China is they're trying to find ways to create things like electrical uh, arc furnaces, uh, more carbon capture technology, um, and other things that relate to technology to use technology to reverse co2 emissions or try to mitigate co2 emissions and if we go through this way instead of trying to put limits on each other i think this is fantastic because now we're not not only are we encouraging the reduction of co2 emissions but we're also encouraging more kind of healthy economic competition the u.s produces this China can produce this carbon capture technology. The U.S. can create the next generation of green tech that can is more more. There's a the second generation windmills. I don't know something crazy, right? Yeah. And, and this kind of like if we go through this route and use economic competition technology to mitigate uh, carbon capture uh, to mitigate carbon emissions i think this is this is the way this is the way to do it yeah i agree and china, i read an article the other day i think from bloomberg that said that china is now officially the, has the largest electric car market in the world surpassing the likes of countries like japan countries in the eu and the united states and canada so that's fairly interesting and kind of shows a commitment uh they've also shown commitment in the past through adding more windmills through adding nuclear power plants to help curb carbon emissions so both sides are doing good things for climate change, the United States and China. So this is definitely a good way to cooperate. Here, here's the biggest issue, though. They become friends. They start to really kind of like, I'm not going to say friends, but they become better acquaintances. The alliance or their partnership gets stronger and stronger and stronger. They start making economic deals. And then the question comes up again. What about Taiwan? What happens next? And I, I, I don't think that the issue is ever going to change unless there's a change in regime within China or a change of regime within Taiwan. So while this is good and we start creating a friendship and, and start creating a relationship, I think it could be really bad 
if we create this really good relationship and then we'd say, oh, well, that Taiwan thing. And then China's like, the U.S. stabbed us in the back. Now we're invading Taiwan. And obviously these are layman's terms and stupid, you know, stuff I'm saying. But it could be true because if we create this relationship and then we bring up the issue again, China could see it as a stab in the back. And that's not good. I I totally agree um, with that one, Josh. I think we just have to be very careful with how we approach China through uh, economic climate. I, I, we need a new term for combining economics and climate. Climate, yeah, right. econo- <laughs> economic, climate economics. Yeah. Climate uh, economics. Yeah, I like that. That sounds good. Yeah, I like that too. So climate economics will be the new term. Um, to, <laughs> to kind of, I think what we need to do here is to solve the Taiwan situation, we would have to use climate economics in a way where it's like, okay, listen, we both have different perspectives on Taiwan. Are we going to risk this multi-billion dollar partnership that we have between our private sectors? Whatever, hypothetically, right? Let's say there are public-private partnerships in within the U.S., public-private partnerships in the China, and now there's they're mingling with each other, they're trading, life's going great, green tech is booming. Are they really going to risk what they can be or what they will have for geopolitics. And that's the biggest question. And they should. Yeah, no, it makes sense because they, they shouldn't risk that uh, just as they shouldn't risk war because it's going to hurt the global economy. And, and here's the other thing. While one of the biggest reasons we look at Taiwan as so important is because they are a big manufacturer of chips and big manufacturer of technologies within uh, their 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 plate where they where Taiwan is because they they're just good at it. Same with China. The United States is coming up to try and make chips with the Chips Act and the Science and Act Act to build chips within the U.S. But if we create this stable relationship with China, and the relationship becomes very strong, economically intertwined, and let's say later on. They don't invade Taiwan, but they declare Taiwan or Taiwan goes in and says, okay, we're going, we just, we're tired of it. We want to be, we're going to be part of China. If we have that relationship and it's established and it's good, then we don't have to worry about losing out in the chips race or in any kind of trade race between them because our relationship is good. We, you know, we let the two countries sovereignly deal it out. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that the United States comes into is that we we want to pick a side. Why don't we just, you, you know, uh, what was his, what's what's the the name of the Secretary of State? I always forget him. Anthony but the Secretary Blinken. Anthony Blinken, he, he said the other day that we see a one-China policy. This was in May. We see a one-China policy, and that's always been the U.S. And the U.S. just needs to completely stick to that, I believe, because it's not their fight. Why does it have to be our fight? If we create this relationship, in the end of the day, no matter what happens between the two, China and Taiwan, we'll be okay. As long as we keep a stable relationship with China. I don't even think we have to choose what relationship we want to be in. We just say economics. Every time they think, every time China asks the US, they're like, is it us or is it going to be Taiwan? We just say economics. 
we want economics. That way, the United States is like it is uh, more focused on what they want to be with China, which is using climate economics, building green tech, carbon capture technology, all the good things, all the goodies, right? Yeah. And they, I, the U.S. needs to use kind of this as a way to say we want economics. We're still going to protect this region, but. Our main concern here is the global economy. Yeah. If that makes sense. I'm trying to find a way to piece all this together because it's very to, to approach China is very delicate. And I think yeah, we need I, to we need to go it's it's like almost taking two steps forward to go one step back every time. Yeah. And I agree. And I I, I think that we should just completely and not ignore China Taiwan relations, but just say we view it as a one China policy and that both sides should do what's best for their, for, should do what's best for them. And, and if we just sit there and have a neutral stance, China can't get upset with us because we're not doing anything exactly. wrong. We're just creating an economic stability between the, all three. I'm going to say use nations for back of a lack of a better term. And, and that's okay. That's okay. The United States doesn't need to be involved in every single conflict or resolution within the world in terms of military. They need to be involved diplomatically and economically. But we don't need to be there to say, you can't step on their shoes. That's a sovereign territory. I mean, it, it, it's only been hurting the relationship and hurting the global geopolitical world. Agreed. Fully agree. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else to add on this. Um, but I do think that the more the more we talk about it and the more I read on it, I think Perry might be onto something. That's that's all I, I can agree. say on this. I hundred percent agree. So if you have well, nothing else, um we're gonna go talk go to the big talk for the week, which yeah. is Russia's strikes. Talk. On Ukrainian grain ports after leaving the export deal. So, this is major. Um, Ukraine has accused Russia of damaging their grain exports uh, infrastructure overnight, meaning they've attacked shipments, they've attacked the port, and they've attacked all anything critical to export infrastructure. Um, in the Black Sea, Odessa, and Mykolaiv, uh, Russia attacked the Odessa region. Uh, after quitting a year-old deal uh, brokered by the United Nations, um, allowing the safe passage of Ukrainian grain uh, through the Black Sea. And then what else do we have here? Uh, the United Nations is currently working on ideas to maintain grain shipments from Ukraine and Russia amid concerns of rising food prices and hunger. But Russia still continues their attack. Um, Ukraine was able to shoot down 37 of 63 Russian missiles that tried to hit uh, critical export infrastructure and military facilities in the Odessa region as well. If you look at the videos yeah. online, it is it is brutal. I mean, I've seen I've seen a little kid get pulled out of the rubble from from the attacks, and Russia's yeah, that's yeah. This war goal. continues to become more and more gruesome, which is why. You know, act, more action needs to be done in, in terms of, of, of solving it. But, you know, in terms of this grain situation, this is going to affect many regions in the world, including the poorer regions of Africa, 
of Asia, of the U.S., of Latin America, let's just say the poor of the world. This is going to affect everyone who is struggling to pay for food. Inflation is already high. Supply chains are already getting back to normal, but still not at the best place. Um, so this is not good. Um, but Russia came out with a statement, and they said they believe that the U.S., and Ukraine, and other partners were not allowing the pact to be carried out fairly. It is impossible for Russia to export some agricultural products. And another quote is, when the part of the Black Sea deal related to Russia is implemented, Russia will immediately return to the implementation of the deal. So that was interesting. But there's a little bit of confusion because there was a letter sent to the UN that basically said, uh, I'm reading this letter right now by the Russian Federation. It says termination of the agreement from 18 July 23 means withdrawal of the security guarantees for navigation in the northwestern part of the Black Sea, termination of the operation of MHC, and dissolution of the JCC, head of the Russian JCC group. Signed by Russian leader El Luik. So there's confusion whether it's terminated or suspended. Both are bad, but there's confusion whether it's terminated or, dis or suspended. So this this situation is becoming tricky every day. I think from what I got, I think it's full termination, and they've completely left the deal. So they're 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 pretty much have free reign to do whatever they want with the grain shipments, which so far they've just destroyed sixty thousand tons of grain. And this goes back to the last episode we did, topic of the week: strengthening international yep. institutions. The first thing yes. that came up to my mind was what is the UN's response? I don't care what the West response is. I want the international response. I want a UN response. This was a deal yeah. brokered by the UN. It yeah. lasted only a year, which shows you cracks in the international, international institutions to see. It shows you that any agreements that they make are still just not strong enough to, to stand alone. The, the United Nations still needs to say, listen, you are doing this in response. We will do that. Meaning there needs yep. to be some sort of retaliation. Like, I I don't know. Like, I that's kind of my hot take is the United Nations should we there should be up for a vote. What are we going to do? What is the next plan? As the international community vote up in the General Assembly. What are our next steps? What is going to be the international response to this? There needs to be some sort yeah. of consequence. The United Nations is not good at consequences because there is yeah. sovereignty issues. Exactly. What about, and, what about, and, about the sovereignty of, of countries like of, of regions or countries or whatever you want to call them, of countries like Taiwan? What about the people in Kosovo? What about the people in Ukraine? What about where is... Where is the international response in these in there's these regions? And, and there's not going to be any because it's only going to continue to get worse now because there is no grain being able to go to the countries that need it the most. And so the international response should be so much greater, but it can't be because what do the General Assembly technically do? Nothing. They can put something out on the floor. They can write a resolution. It'll pass the two-thirds majority. But at the end of the day, that's not binding law. No party actually has to abide by those laws. Now, a lot of them might. 
you know, if they if they start doing more sanctions, but it still doesn't do anything. And then you go to the Security Council. Well, Russia is on the Security Council. So if they see a binding resolution that's going to go through, it's going to affect them. They're going to use their veto power. There's no response that the UN can do. If UN responds or if NATO responds, then it's an act of war. It, it's it, it, it's so frustrating There's because no there needs to be something better. As international law, it's it's just there. It's just guidelines, suggestions. This deal should have not been a suggestion. It should have been, listen, the international community says we need grains and we will take them out, out of the Odessa region, period. If you fail to follow these international laws, the, just the weight of international law should be enough to make it feel binding, let alone need something as a consequence for it to be binding, which it's the, it's the first thing that came to my mind was our last episode we did. Lack of yeah, binding and, international law. And and the problem is the sovereignty plays such a big role. And, and it, obviously, I, I agree it should because there are some things that touch the sovereignty line. But like, let's face it, these two countries are at war, Ukraine and Russia. Well, Russia is attacking the ukraine it's not even that they're at war they're attacking them and ukraine is defending itself i don't personally don't think that russia should have a say period on what they do in the international stage at all they shouldn't be able to do anything but what can they realistically do to enforce russia to follow these rules there's just nothing there's nothing at all and, and and it's only going to get worse because what's next is the next thing going to be that they can't that Russia is going to cut off oil from exporting to anybody else and natural gases to anybody in the world other food items to anybody in the world grain is so huge it is the crop that keeps most of the world turning because without grain you can't most people can't eat so now you're setting back poverty and, and food hunger to an all-time high with this initiative with, with what they're doing this one letter that the russian jcc group had sent to the un has basically created a bigger problem for world hunger a letter you know like that's not good <laughs> they left the deal blew up the port and said here's a letter f you all that is Yep. That's just like a big middle finger to the international community. That is an embarrassment to the international community. Where they said, yeah. we don't care about the hungry people. We don't care about hunger. We don't care about anything. That's that's we that's what ourselves. the letter is. That's what the letter is to me. But yeah. What's next? So. I can't even tell you. I I can't I don't even know where we can go because the question is sovereignty, and the question is Russia. So what? Yeah, let, the question let's, is the United Nations. <laughs> yeah, the question is the United Nations response. What will be the deal that the UN, the next deal that the UN will broker? What will be the second edition, second prototype? What's the word I'm looking for? Second model. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. What will be the second model to this deal? What is it in for Russia? That's where the UN is going to go to head next. I I'm not Something sure if brokered. Was, huh? Something has to be brokered. I mean, it's like at this point, yeah. What we we need 
to give up something, which is going to be give up what something that Russia wants to export out, something that's been sanctioned that Russia might want sanctions removed out of. It's it's tricky. It's going to be very tricky yeah. for the UN to yeah. broker. And tricky it's situation. The US to say like, oh, we're going or NATO, right? Can't just say, all right, we're going to go grab our boats, park them in the sea, so we can let grain come out. That's that's like right on the line. Like playing with fire. That's yeah, that's playing with fire. So for anyone that says we should send NATO warships to get green out, not a viable option. No, we're already on we're already on the line. It's just like how how much farther can we dig into that line before it's war? Oh, the line is a is a little tiny piece of like, you know, those that like the the little things that get on like cotton shirts that you pull out. Oh, yeah. That's how thin the line is <laughs> at the moment. And if that line yeah. breaks, I mean, it's going to be catastrophic, the results. So, yeah, I I don't know what the next steps are going to be. And, and of all the things we discussed today, it, it, it's showing the future of international institutions and cooperation. And and we're seeing in, in, in some areas some pretty good progress, some significant progress in other areas, but then – in most things, we're seeing setback after setback after setback, and this is one. This is a major setback, um, and who knows where the world goes next? You think we're moving forward, and then we just lose our progress, and then we're just back to where we were. Then we find yeah. something else in the world where we agree on, and then we go two steps back. So. Yep. Two steps. I mean, this is like far. This is like four or five steps back. This this, this was a major setback crazy. globally, and yeah. But I don't it's have just, anything. People else. People are to... saying like it's just grain, but like it's not just grain. It's like it's the backbone of the world. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's the next important. step should be to focus more on independence as well, because we. I'm not personally. If I were a country, I would not rely on the United Nations. At this time, I would no. find some ways of self-dependency should I be a, a leader of my own people. That I, I would look more domestically at the moment until I find viable partners in the world that also have good grain uh, exports and develop grain partnerships. Yeah. That's what I, I would do. That's, that's what everyone meeting. should do. Which is what you'll hear in our topic of the week. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating one. Yeah, but I don't have anything else to, to add on this. Hopefully we were able to successfully summarize and offer thoughtful analysis on all these LGDs. Um, it, is, it is three big agenda items, and hopefully in the 35 minutes-ish that we did, hopefully it was good enough for, for all you guys to enjoy. Yeah, hope so. Everyone, make sure to keep doing your research and stay up to date on these topics. So, but otherwise, have a good one. Take care.